Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right, we're still talking 1986's Cobra on Kill by Kill. Greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from the streets of Long Beach, Los Angeles, Venice. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film or cop procedural, the characters. That's right, we're going to unpack all the goriest of details of 1986's Cobra in the hopes that an unfortunate night slasher's victim's death is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always, there is only one person that I trust that if I begin to drown my French fries in ketchup, she will give me a life raft to save them from drowning. The one and the only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? Well, I, I was fine until you stole my intro. <laughs> See, we, we never coordinate these things. We uh, I tend to like to surprise you in the hopes that I get a laugh. And when I didn't, I'm like, oh, I may have stepped on someone's toes. Hey, now I have to make some kind of remark about how I brought a bobblehead doll for you. <laughs> oh, we're going to get to that bobblehead. Don't you worry about that. Well, um, see, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, we, we talked about the, the first half of the movie, and, and it's startling to realize that we... We haven't even reached the apex of true horror in this movie. We, we, we've seen bodies crushed, stabbed, and torn asunder. Yes. We've seen people firing on each other with guns and the wholesale oh, yeah. destruction of property. Mm-hmm. And yet none of that, none of that prepares you for Sylvester Stallone trying to play a romantic hero. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I mean, uh, we can just get right into it because there's not much plot to cover this is the basically the chase portion of the movie so plot really is catch as catch can but one of the most horrific elements of this as you said is him trying to play cute um when he uh arrived at a table holding a plastic or ceramic i'm not sure which what is what would, why what would it matter hamburger as like hey isn't this funny? It's kind of like, I don't think you understand what jokes are, my man. Well, he, let us reiterate. He and Brigitte Nielsen were, were actively falling in love while they were filming this. Oh, yeah. And, and yet they still couldn't generate a, a, a drop of chemistry. N- not That's one. Weird. I mean, you would think that even just, just the natural chemistry between two people who are falling in love would, would come through. No, nothing. Yeah. I mean, you thought it's, that it's like you, they, they put in, you know, Home Alone when Kevin puts those, uh, you know, mannequins and cardboard cutouts on trains and has them go past windows. Those characters are more alive than Sylvester Stallone and Brigitte Nielsen. I mean, I mean you thought that that uh, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise had no chemistry in, in uh, Eyes Wide Shut. I mean, you, 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 you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> I mean, I will say, at least for that movie, isn't part of it that your marriage is falling apart right in front of Like, they shouldn't be really hot, even though I think that was like the selling point. They... They put that into the ether like, oh, you're going to see these two very attractive people be hot with one another. And then 
they forgot to tell everyone the director only uh, directs the coldest and harshest of realities. Remember that movie was when they were talking about that movie was getting made. It was supposed to be like supposedly it was supposed to be about two a married psychiatrist who have affairs with their patients. Yes, and, and I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And then and then we watch this, and it's like, oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> So much, but again, another surprise Christmas movie. You know, Eyes the, Wide Shut and Cobra. They they have that in common. You know, a a, a woman tells her husband a a, a you know, mildly naughty sexual fantasy, and he loses his fucking mind, <laughs> and just ends up at a fucking orgy. I mean, what are the chances that this wild cacophony of events? Uh, takes place. I don't know. It's a one, real one night in which every single person he encounters wants to fuck him. I mean, you know, we, we, who among us just hasn't had one of those nights where every single last person you you encounter, no matter how meaningful the uh, the the connection you have with them, they obviously want to sleep with you. <laughs> this become eyes wide shut cast. Um. <laughs> It's not like we don't want to talk about Cobra. It's just the lack of sexual chemistry between Sylvester Stallone and Brigitte Nielsen has to be noted. Like, they look at one another like, well, you're a person I'm supposed to talk to because script man says so. But he wrote the script and he cast her and they're supposedly boning at this moment in time. And yet they can't even bother to look like they like one another they're they're sort of like you know one of those road movies where you know the the, the man and the woman clearly don't like each other and then by the movie they're by the middle of the movie they kind of grudgingly you know you know feel a little warm towards each other they're in the grudgingly right. warm stage where it's like well we're stuck together might as well tolerate each other <laughs> i would hazard a guess that they don't even tolerate one another it's almost as if they were making a real estate deal with their genitals. It just doesn't feel like there's a lot of passion involved in any point of this. Whereas there is passion for killing in Cobra. And there's definitely passion for getting across some sort of crazy right wing philosophy of how crime operates. Because at one point they're stuck in a car together and they have the most distaff conversation with one another. And she goes, why is it, and in the softest, most monotone way, why is it that the sickles can't be put away and then they never come out? And then he mumbles like, talk to the judge. <laughs> what? Why are we having this conversation? Does she really believe that people who have committed a crime should be put away forever? And he's like, ah, laws. They keep getting in the way of me murdering people. <laughs> this is um, this is a very odd philosophical conversation where neither party seems to believe what they're saying, and you can actively see it on screen. Yeah, it's some sort of weird, you know, half conservative, half cynical viewpoint. Yes, in which in which yes, the sicko should be put away forever, but the uh, the, the, the the judges aren't interested in doing that. Yes, but specifically judges. That's what it comes down to. It's like a, a real judge-based problem. Uh, I don't really think that's, uh, I mean, certainly we have our fair share of terrible judges, but we always have. So it wasn't a particular problem at the time. It just feels very like leftover from the 70s. It's regurgitated Dirty Harry. And 
It's the part of this that I don't buy. Where if he was just a, you know, a bitter cop who would rather shoot first and ask questions later and just leave it at that, I would be fine with that. That's what this is. It's it's montages of guys slapping axes together while there's an open fire in an empty pool. Like that's what this movie is. Like why enter your philosophies into it? Well, there's yeah, there's very little nuance to it. Yeah, this is this is a movie that ends with an original song that's called like American Sun, where basically Sylvester Stallone is America, and, and, and America has had enough of these axe wielding creeps. But America has always had enough of these axe wielding creeps. <laughs> And that's the thing. Like, I can you tell me there wasn't a time when we were kind of okay with axe wielding creeps? I mean, there may have been. There may have been a, a moment here or there where it came down to us or axe wielding creeps, and we decided whoever wins, we all lose, or whatever. Well, here's the thing. He he the- you know, he opens up with this. As we talked about in the last episode, he opens up with this you know largely made up list of statistics of crime rates. Yeah. You know, like there's a rape every you know 0.5 seconds. Someone is constantly being murdered. Just just you know, if you take a breath, two people got murdered right then and there. Just in that yeah. Time look frame. around you to your left or your right. You're probably going to see a murdered person. Exactly. And and if you have it, then you're the murdered person. <laughs> oh look, there's a knife sticking out of your chest. It, is that like you? The rest of the, I mean, the, the you. He, he just kind of jumps right to the most extreme example of this he could find. I mean, at least like you know, I mean, the, the Dirty Harry movies aren't great, but at least it was you know, it, it, you know, he's fixated on one person. That's the problem. You yeah. know, in the original Dirty Harry, it was like it was supposed to be something like the Zodiac Killer, and you know, in in Sudden Impact, it was a you know, someone you know a they, uh, you know, someone taking revenge for a rape. A vigilante. A vigilante. Yeah, that's where I was. That's where I was looking for. Here, it's an entire fucking cult. Yeah, it's that he that he cult. single that he single handedly takes down by himself because no one else believes that it exists. And even also- though these people are are walking around in broad daylight and and making sure that that people see what they're doing, they're they're, they're not tr- they're not trying to not get caught. That's the thing. Like, I just feel like in terms of trying to get the world, the word out about the new world, you kind of have to pick a philosophy. One is send out your hunters to, I don't know, break into supermarkets, start blasting away people near Christmas trees, shoot peanuts, those sort of things. And, and get them on the news and announce that the new world is coming. Okay. That's one way to go about it. Or you could do this underground thing where you go around in a very fogged up van and knife murder and sledgehammer people to death. Yeah, they, they, seem, they, seem like, they seem like they have some sort of message and concept they want to get across. But we never know what that is. And yeah. I, I, need, I need to see their, their mission statement. Yeah, where's the manifesto? Like break that shit out at some point. And, and, and once we do get to a moment where Night Slasher begins his TED talk, it really, like, all he does is say pig a thousand times, and we get to see spittle spray Oh, my God. He's just, fl- it's just flying everywhere. It, it's like talking to your grandpa. You are in the splash zone. If this was a 4D movie <laughs> between at the, Universal Studios. Between the sweat and the spit, so much moisture. 
just slapping it, you're slapping it, you're slapping it. It's like, be, it's like being at the Evil Dead show. <laughs> you know, I uh, I saw two live shows. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show before. I did, I've seen two live interpretations of movies here in town. One being the um, uh, the It musical, where they did It chapter one and two as a musical. And I found that very good. And then there was a point break uh, in which uh, they would pick an audience member to play Johnny Utah, which was honestly, it kind of worked, but it also was uh, that part of the world where everyone kind of decided Keanu Reeves isn't a really good actor instead of someone who makes a definitive choice and casts himself well. Did you get, I mean, was there like actual sea spray or anything like that? Because I feel like this is a tie into just oh, yes. you know, the, the sensory experience of having, you know, you know, liquid sprayed all over you. Both shows had splash zones. And <laughs> so if a Cobra musical does come around the, the town, I assume that there will be a big third act splashing. It, it's like being at a goddamn Gallagher show. I, yeah, I, I need to, I want, I want to talk about this a little more because because sure. I want to know what their end game is. Are, are they going to to? It's like vampires. It's like okay, you've killed everybody and you've turned them all into vampires. Well, what are you going to use for food? So I mean, if you but if you you know, is their idea of just they're just going to you know, wholesale kill everybody? Or do they want to get involved in you know, local politics? <laughs> yes, I, what we need is a caucus of the axe gang. They like, what, what, is he, what is the advantage in the new world of having people running around, you know, axe murdering people? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess we don't have to worry about free health care as much, or we do? I, I'm not sure. Again, when it gets to the moment where we're supposed to get the grand philosophy of this, it boils down to, I want to put my axe in you real hard. Well, it's cop. also... And, and, it's a kind of a ripoff and you know, of all the movies you're going to rip off is, is, you know, 10 to midnight when, when the, the, you know, we'll get to this one eventually um, is that in both cases, they get this whole, you can't do anything to me. They'll say I'm sick. And it's just like, okay, who's they, and <laughs> right. you don't understand how the law works. You know, <laughs> you, know you, you seem very certain of this, and, and I don't think you actually picked up, you know, a law book. But yeah, his, 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 his you know, manifesto is, I can do whatever I want because society says I'm sick. It's like, all right, I, I, okay. you started a whole cult based on that? I know. Like, why don't you start baking your own bread? Like, what, what, what is holding? Why is murder the first thing that came to your mind when you're sick? And how like, do you get? And how do you pull other? You know, all of course, this is the question that one could ask of of you know, most real life cult members: is how did you get people to buy this? How, <laughs> how did you get people to say, yeah, that you know, I, I I like the cut of your jib. I would like to subscribe to your newsletter. I know. Like, do people just wander into this abandoned pool and like, hey, what you doing? Oh, you slapping a couple axes together? Like, like what do they? Like, spares? how do they re- how do they recruit Art the accountant to 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 to, to join their 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 axe their axe gang? I was going to ask you a very specific question about this because we brought up the guy in the suit. Unless the there's a couple guys in suits, but there's also one person who's holding up an ice axe. Like everyone else has straight up axes, either single or double bladed. But there's one guy with an a- ice axe, and you know everyone is snickering at that dude behind his back. <laughs> like 
we're an axe gang, not like any axe you have available to you, gang. Like, come on. What are you doing with an ice axe? Also, where are you getting an ice axe in Los Angeles? The fuck if I know. Also, they never really call it Los Angeles. It's the Metropolitan Police. So this place, this takes place in Metropolis. Apparently. Oh, okay. <laughs> It just happens to be probably it just happens to probably feature a, a, a highway near near your house, I think you said. Oh yeah. It the that entire chase that we ended on in last week is all downtown Long Beach. I mean you can't recognize half of it, but it's it is very much downtown Long Beach. In Metropolis. In Metropolis. If if someone was saying, well, what are you guys talking about? Catch me up because uh, I didn't happen to catch last week. And for that I say. Uh, do yourself a favor. That's a great episode. But typically we ask on a second half or third half, you know, when we pick these things up, who's still left alive at this point in the movie? Most of Los Angeles slash Metropolis, <laughs> but not for a lack of trying. Because over the course of 50 minutes, the new world has killed about 25 people, at least those that we can count, and have simultaneously covered up their identities and sent one dude to a supermarket to talk to reporters in between murderers. And then Brigitte Nielsen saw this guy in the middle of the fucking road after strapping his face into pantyhose every <laughs> single time he goes out to kill. Because that, also does, a, doesn't. that, that also does an astonishing job of, of disguising his features. <laughs> Again, it's like, uh, a giant jaw inside of pantyhose would be my description of him. Um, and then they decide to risk everything by killing one witness they said no, by they, going they, around and not disguising themselves to kill one witness. They sent out like dozens of, they, they seem to have like several hundred members of their gang. Yes. And I mean, even, even at the most, Charles Manson had like 30 <laughs> and, like, and, and it's just like he's got biker gangs. He's got he's got people on the inside working at the police station. Just hundreds of people just doing this one dude's bidding. And it just doesn't make a ton to, of to, sense. To, to kill one person. <laughs> I just don't I don't get why she's so important. And if she is so important and you have someone on the inside, just have Nancy Stock walk up behind her and slash her throat and be done with it. But no, they wander out and they're like, hey, we got to do the most public execution of this person possible. Otherwise, everyone will know we exist. What are you talking about? <laughs> this is so stupid. Like this organization, I, I hate to say this. I hate to say this, Gina. I don't think the X gang is managed very well. I think they have a leadership problem. That's a bold and statement. I'm saying I don't think the Axe Gang is, I don't know. I don't know that they're capable of making the new world happen. I think it's farcical that they believe that they can make all these things happen because they can't kill Brigitte Nielsen and she stands out in a crowd as does Every person in this movie. Well, the problem is, is, it's not that they can't kill her. It's that they are so insistent on killing other people along the way. <laughs> they can't help themselves. Like in the, in the, like the, this is going back to the last episode, but in the hospital scene, he goes in there to kill her. Then just for shits and giggles, back 
kills three other people. <laughs> it's like number one, you're 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 inefficiently using time. Right. Because yeah, he could have just he could have come in there in costume or stole the costume and just ran off and done did this thing. But you know, he, he just you know anybody that that, that you know, I, I I've read my criminology books, I've watched plenty of true TV. And 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 I can tell you that if you are so you know you you unable to control your faculties that you cannot stop yourself from just randomly killing three people in a hospital, <laughs> you're you're not going to get very far in your in your world takeover cult. And that one nurse was so close to being a get bunked. It was so so very close. There's even a Friday the Thirteenth reference with a bloody mop in the bed. Like the bloody axe, but no, she just like it goes slow motion, wah, 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 wah. and she, yeah, I don't even know what happens to her. She could go into a phantasm pit for all we know. This movie made me so angry because at one point, the the upper management of Metropolitan Police start making sense, and I'm like, yeah, you're right, upper management of the police department. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, I don't want to be that guy, but this movie made me do it. Well, it. it- it's very much a, a very Republican movie in that, you know, it's, if people are doing bad things, it is okay for you to do the same bad thing because you're working on the side of good. Right. So, you know, they kill a bunch of people, you kill a bunch of people. Yeah, and it's equal. It's fine. And, and somehow in, in all of this, you know, you know, massive car chases and and you know public gunfire no good people get killed only bad people also cobra makes such a bad job of making an argument for why he thinks it's multiple people when the when the truth is like hey hey dummies uh all those people died in that parking garage uh that brigitte nielsen was in that wasn't the work of one person she saw multiple people and can identify at least one. That doesn't mean the night slasher is just one dude. And they're like, eh, get out of here. And then all of a sudden, you know, crank up the feel, the heat, the dulcet tones of one checking my notes, Jean Bevois. Yes. Uh, punk, punk icon, Jean Bevois. Not, oh, fr- not one of his finer you, moments. You know, where does Jean Bevois, Jean Bevois actually comes from somewhere? This I don't know. He does. He was, um, he was a member of the Plasmatics, which uh, oh. you, you might know from wow. uh, Reform School Girls. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, I, listen, I watched Night Flight. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the Plasmatics. I'm certainly familiar with the outfit that she would wear. Yeah. <laughs> He, he's uh, yeah, more known for being a, a producer than a musician. Uh, and, and yeah, this is not one of his finer moments. No, I wanted to, um, I know I don't usually do this, Gina, but I want you to sit back and relax <laughs> and allow me to treat you to a little bit of the amazing poetry <laughs> that can be found. And you look at the lyrics of feel the heat. Now, I wish I could put a bed of music in here that would, you know, be smooth, jazzy, but just, you know, let it happen in your mind. (laughs) Listen, confusion has a lonely game. I don't know. It's like fucking Tetris. Nothing answered. Things left the same. You still don't understand myself. How can (laughs) I explain to someone else? He rhymed myself 
with else. <laughs> and that's genius. You know what? I'm a writer, but I can't write like that. So I got to give it up to one Jean Bevois. That's, <laughs> that's feel the heat, everybody. Yeah, feel the heat is, is mid-level 80s music just in perfectly encapsulated. Very, yeah, very, very synth heavy, you know, a focus on the word heat. Oh, I have a bit of trivia for you. Sure. Did you know that, speaking of the word heat, that sure. uh, the song that Mark Wahlberg sings in Boogie Nights, Feel right. the Heat, yes, was originally going to be using Cobra. <laughs> no. Yep. <laughs> Gina, take that back. Take it back. Nope. That's true. <laughs> um, brain matter is leaking out of my nose. So if I start to put in pictures instead of word symbols, you'll know why. The weather um, man is dead. <laughs> <laughs> the, we get to see some real odd shit because this, as we said, this sort of becomes a road movie in the second half. And it's full of supposed meat cutes that neither meet nor are cute. At one point, they stop for gas and for Gonzalez to grab a bunch of junk food because this movie is obsessed with food. Oh, my God. Yes. It's so weird. And the closest this movie gets to the Bechdel test is a conversation between Gonzalez and Brigitte Nielsen. And he, he says this, and this is the direct quote. I know he looks like a fugitive from the 50s, but he's great at catching psychos. I have a couple problems with this. Uh, number one, citation needed, motherfucker. <laughs> Two, he absolutely does not look like anyone who either likes anything about the 50s beyond the car he just wrecked. Yeah, he, that was weird, wasn't it? Why, he's not a fugitive from the 50s. He has a 50s car with a vanity plate on it. That's about it. That says There's awesome, no- which nobody nobody used that word in the 50s. Right. So oh, I, I, it, where did this come in the script and why did they keep it in? Or, or because Sylvester Stallone is really grooming this entire thing to make himself look cool. So why keep this in when it, there's no reflection of it beyond the car in the movie? Actually, you know what? I, I am mistaken. It's even it's even more amazing than you think. Yes. It's not it's not feel the heat. It's the song The Touch. Oh my god. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. I, I will I will I will when the episode goes up, I will link the article that says they had written the song to be used on this on this the soundtrack to Cobra and up being used in the Transformers movie instead. You got the touch. You got the power. <laughs> oh god. Well, I'm glad they didn't because Cobra neither displays touch nor power. Um and of course just to round this out concerning Gonzalez's um, predilection for, for stating that uh, Cobra is stuck is some sort of outlier from the 1950s. Sit on it, Potsy. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I, now that memory serves, I think I took a little pause with that. <laughs> yeah, it really stuck out this time around. Also, what sticks out is that uh, during this, uh, Cobra, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone is doing business over at this random tchotchke stand. And I've picked out couches faster 
than he looks at bobbleheads. He picks up this bobblehead and, and takes a look at it like he can't believe it exists in reality. Like he's taken one too many fake punches to the head. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's just utterly fascinated by this thing. And he does like his own little head bobble thing, which, you know, it's comedy. Yeah, it's we, hard to call we, we saw some we, we saw someone get a van run into them like like 20 minutes earlier. <laughs> Sly. <laughs> yeah, but all of a sudden it's this cute story of these two kids who can't just help fall in love with one another and we get attempts well hmm, let's put attempts of humor in dick fingers because there's one joke where she's told his name is marion and so she comes over and she says oh your name's marion cabretti and he goes oh it was really tough growing up with a name like that i always figured i'd want to have a tougher name and she asks him what name would that have been and almost as if he was compelled by the court to say it, he then says, Alice. <laughs> and if you're thinking I'm underplaying it, watch Cobra, because it is underplayed to the point where you thought maybe he won't, like they paid him an extra million dollars to say it. He looks like he's doing uh, a screen opening for a Universal Studios tram ride attraction. There's just no emotion behind it whatsoever. He, he looks embarrassed to try to be funny, and 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 I yes. get it because we've all seen Rhinestone. He's <laughs> yeah, not. He's he, fresh he, off he, of Drunkenstein. He's not. He's not a natural comedian, and and no. and I, I think that he is vaguely aware of that mm -hmm. but hadn't quite accepted it by the time he he got to cobra and thought he would still would try a little bit but it's like as soon yeah. as he, as soon as he read the line he just like you could hear him thinking i'm gonna sound so stupid saying this and you know what he does so so good yeah. on him for that insight it almost feels like he'd said it like three times before and this was the fourth take and he's just like i'm just i'm not even gonna like bring anything to it i'm just gonna say the word alice like I'm saying soup and hope <laughs> that they cut it. And they're like, that one's perfect. Make sure to notate it. Let's put that one in the end. Cut and print. Yeah, no more needed. I got exactly what I wanted. Uh, where is this abandoned pool that the Axe Gang makes at? How did they find one another? We, we've said this a couple times in, in various places. But it almost feels like they had a flyer up at the supermarket where, are you sick of how society treats you? Take one and meet us at the abandoned pool. Add the petty saber. At least bring one axe because we only have so many extras. So you're going to need two to bang them together. Your own, yeah, exactly. B-Y-O-A. <laughs> free child care available. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, certainly you, not every guy, every, there's gotta be some divorced dads in that group, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's only all, the only woman in the group is officer Stalk. I mean, she's, she's a bell of the ball. I felt very poor because in the last episode, I, I stated that her line rating of, uh, have you been drinking was uh, yes, I have. But in fact, it's just, I have, um, <laughs> I, oh my God. It's my, I think it's my favorite part of the movie. Like I, I, I'm, I'm going to mention again. I, I just like that when she goes into cult mode, she puts on heavy blue eyeshadow. <laughs> She's definitely got the like MTV video vixen you know makeup going on. Yes. Where whereas everybody else just looks like everybody else in the in the uh, in the cult just looks like they crawled out of a jar of Vaseline. 
<laughs> just filthy and, and greasy and sweaty. Everyone else looks like they're in a high school a wrestling team trying to cut weight. <laughs> they're just constantly sweating, trying to get down to that 150-pound class or something like that. And meanwhile, she's like, well, I don't sweat so much, but I do over-exaggerate my makeup. Perfect. And uh, she gets the job. <laughs> they go to a restaurant. For, once again, we have flirtatious scene after flirtatious scene with neither really having flirtation. But uh, Sylvester Stallone tries to make himself look cute with a ceramic hot uh, hamburger. I almost said hot dog. But really, prop work, Sly, prop work. We got a real Gallagher 3 sitch happening here. Um, <laughs> Brigitte, in, in her, as her character Ingrid asks, do you date Do you, with women? Do you? Uh, she, she says, do you ever get involved? And Cobra answers, with a real woman? Now, that's a real red flag, Jada. We meant you mentioned uh, oddly enough Charles Bronson in Ten to Midnight, but not since he in in that movie picked up a pocket pussy have I been more uncomfortable with on screen sexuality. Like I said, we'll get to that one eventually. Oh, no, we're we're gonna we're gonna hit that one. We're gonna hit that one real hard. Um, too hard, possibly. <laughs> but Sylvester Stallone comes, like, he just, he's not someone who oozes, oh, I want to have sex with that guy. It's not that he can't be visually impressive or that, uh, I'm sure there are plenty of men and women who find him attractive, but he doesn't come across as someone who wants to have sex. No, like, he really doesn't, does he? And I think it's, no. you can say the same for, uh, for Arnold Schwarzenegger too, it's just the yes. you know I mean Conan the Barbarian aside, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but but yeah I think you're I think you're right that that they they don't seem either particularly sexy or sexual, yeah, and that's because I honestly think that they were trying to to and I don't mean necessarily in a in a gay way but I think they were trying to appeal more to male audiences okay and and you know what are male audiences uninterested in. You know, Romance. So, you know, they're, they don't, they don't want a particularly, you know, you romantically inclined hero. But they have to put these scenes in here. Otherwise the movie would have been 75 minutes long. Well, yeah. And it's entirely possible that, that I would not at all be surprised if, because being that Sylvester Stallone, he wrote, he wrote the script, right? Oh yes. Uh, You know, it, it would not surprise me if he punched up, some of these scenes too. So they had more screen time together because clearly they thought that they had chemistry that did not express itself on the screen at all. To me, their whole deal feels like a business merger. It feels like, it feels like when, you know, in uh, I forget which one it was when John Mulaney talks about when he gets, he has to get a, uh, a um, prostate examination. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, this might as well happen. <laughs> <laughs> that that's what it feels like. You and, and that's how you can tell a poorly written and kind of just you know haphazardly shoved into a script romance yeah. is when the the vibe to between the two people is, well, you're here, I'm here. This might as well happen. Yeah, like my, I have a part that I think goes 
into your part. So should those parts, um, you know, be put together? Like it, he has a sexuality in here that says, if he was like, oh, I wish I could get involved with you. It's the thing is I'm currently dating Svedka, the sexy robot who sells vodka. I'd be like, that makes sense. <laughs> well, I think the whole idea is, and again, I, I may be, you know, giving, giving, uh, still a little too much, you know, credit for nuance here. Yeah. Is, is, you know, that he's so, that he's married to his job and, and, and he keeps, you know, really weird hours and sees a lot of, you know, unpleasant things. And, and, you know, of course he would never talk about these things because he's a man and men don't talk about that kind of thing, but you can, you know, you can see it in, you know, in his face and how he carries himself, how, you know, hard the job is. And, you know, here's, you know, you know, the, the chance of, you know, you know, something nice with this woman he's protecting from ax murderers. And even if he did talk about it, would you be able to understand it because that fucking matchstick in his mouth? Probably not. No, and and because he the the you know, the movie is so intent on you know, creating a very certain you know masculine ideal of you know the whole man of few words thing, he he wouldn't talk about it. No. And and that was you know a a unfortunate you know fallout of seventies and eighties movies is these you know silent heroes. You know, I, yeah, I, I could spend a whole hour ranting about that and how that fucked up a generation, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know with how, you know, uh, no matter no matter how awful your job is, you don't talk about it. Here's something most people don't talk about either, and that is that uh, Brigitte Nielsen's wig here <laughs> reminded me of Little Orphan Annie. <laughs> I, I don't know what was wrong or considered you know, not appropriate for her actual hair when she did this. Yeah. I mean, she's she, supposed to she's be a, probably an icy blonde. She's supposed to be a point. model. So, I mean, models yeah. have interesting hair. I'm sorry. Brigitte Nielsen, very aesthetically attractive woman. Like you don't need to put curly hair on her to make it. Do I want her to be approachable? Like, is that something I'm looking for in a, a model being stalked by an axe cult? Probably not. So why the fuck do you have to like, ah, she's too unbelievable to uh, be into Sylvester Stallone. But they're actually boning at this point. Like the sexual chemistry should be popping off the fucking screen. So why put her in this terrible wig and a pork pie newsboy hat on top of it? <laughs> Holy fuck. <laughs> I mean, what the? Is she hunting ghosts with her friend who's a gorilla? What is this outfit that she's in? She's supposed to be a model, for Christ's sakes. I'm not saying that she has to be in a miniskirt the whole goddamn time, but she honestly is is in drag as Shelly from Friday the 13th Part 3. It's real fucking weird. I hadn't thought of that, but you're, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that until this very second, but I made the connection in my mind. I mean, it's just really odd, her sense of vests. Uh, I mean, what can you do about high, how high-waisted everyone's jeans are? That was just the time, but oh my God. It just, no one looks cool. No one looks, he doesn't look like he's from the 50s. The poor guy from the actual Dirty Harry movie is stuck in a members-only jacket, <laughs> chewing constantly on the shittiest food just so Sylvester Stallone can come down on him. I mean, it's just like, oh, boy, can't people have personalities? Like, 
I guess not. I, I guess not. And meanwhile, Nancy Stock, super spy, makes two very unstealthy phone calls. What is the point of her in this? Because ideally, if you're going to send a policewoman out on this sort of detail, it's because you don't want the witness to be forced to sleep in the same room as, say, Sylvester Stallone, who can't take his fucking leather gloves off. You you put her in the room together so they're like, oh, I don't have to worry about someone like attacking me in the middle of the night or waking me up assembling a fucking machine gun. <laughs> yeah, she really doesn't. I mean, they they don't seem to have much trouble keeping up with her with where uh, with where Ingrid is either way. They don't really seem to need her. No, except that you know, it, 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 the thing that, that I find amusing is that it's that that you know, Officer Stalk. I will never recover from that. Is uh, is you know, is, is is actually working for the cult. It's set sure. up like it's a like it's supposed to. It was meant to be a you know a surprise reveal at some point, but you find out almost immediately. No, there's like zero surprise to and, it. And it's like, okay, is the is the suspense in when everybody else is going to find out? Because it's not even all that dramatic. I mean, they spot her like frantically waving at a pickup truck. And then, like, oh my <laughs> and then God. that's it. Because nobody knows how to be subtle in this. Nobody, no. nobody knows how to do anything you you covertly or secretly or here. Here's a fucking idea quietly. You have a how about have uh, this conversation around the goddamn corner where you're not in view of the person you're supposed to be how, sneak attacking. How about you 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 come after these people quietly? I mean, like that the part and again, this is back in the in the first half. The part mm. where where the the gang show some of the gang members show up at at, uh, at Cobretti's house. Like Cobretti yes. opens the door and I was like. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you know he lives in an apartment built an apartment complex right people yeah. are going to hear you they at least tried like even land shark was low pro or than this just like you know just to keep it together. sneak into try sneaking into things every now and then every once in a while like and one person does one person is already in his apartment but the two doofuses at the front door ruin the surprise. So it is an actual surprise when the guy who's already in the apartment comes, you know, busting out of the slider. They're chopping down doors. They're screaming. They're shooting. And it's, it's you know, every you know, every time they show up, it's announced. You know, we, yeah. we, we mentioned before that they all show up in motorcycles so you can hear them from five <laughs> miles away. And uh-huh. it, it, it's just they're very, very bad at this. They are terrible. I I do have a couple of things that I just want to get out of the way before we get to this final, when when they all show up all at once. And one is in the bedroom. Ingrid says to Cobra, uh, where will you go when all this is done? Um, Into a shoebox with the other police elves? Where the fuck do you think police detectives go when they finish one case? They go on to the next fucking case. It's not that hard to understand. What do you mean? Where will you go? Like Fiji on vacation? I don't know. I have a winery down in Mexico and I'm going to check on it this year. Like, what the fuck are you asking? Secondly, speaking of bad musical choices, Bill uh, Medley uh, from the 
which what, what the, brother, righteous, uh, the righteous brothers the righteous brothers um this is the same year 1986 which he's featured you know in uh uh i've had the time of my life so like this was a big year for him he is featured on the soundtrack twice one is in that that uh, tavern scene which he is singing with Gladys Knight. And the section, uh, the second one is during this like seduction scene uh, in the motel. And he's singing with Carmen uh, Twilly, who's most famous for singing the circle of life from 1994's Lion King. But Bill in this particular second song, whenever he's singing, sounds like he's um, cross-examining an uncooperative witness in court. <laughs> hey, talk to me now. Yeah. No one was giving him direction for the booth. They're like, Bill, uh, why don't you just knock this out? I'm gonna be at lunch and I'll see you on the flippity flop. And Bill's like, okay. Hey, <laughs> I'm gonna be unnecessarily aggressive. And it's like, mm-hmm. That's not it, man. And then everyone got the tapes like, well, it's for Cobra. Should we give a fuck? Nope. Okay, moving on. (laughs) Also, before the Axe Gang shows up on very loud motorcycles, Cobra is awoken by the sound of a hawk. (laughs) She's out of nowhere. (laughs) Happens and he opens his eyes. And I just, I love that. I love that he's awoken by a hawk. And so, yeah, like like we were talking about earlier, the Axe Gang arrives. Nancy Stocks out there at a at a pickup truck, just pointing and yelling, "There, there! Shoot there!" Like, great, great element of surprise, guys. This is fantastic. Maybe you're better at banging axes together in an abandoned swimming pool than invading this motel. They're just—I think they picked the wrong weapons. They're axe people. And they show up here with motorcycles and machine guns. And it turns out they're shitty at it. <laughs> they really are. They're terrible they're at terrible it. They're terrible axe gang. They shoot. They start shooting at this motel room. And Sylvester Stallone knocks out one window and kills five dudes. One, two, three, four, five. With five shots. And they're like, I don't know. Do we do the exact same thing? Okay, we're going to do the same thing? All right, let's do it. And the only measure of success they get is they just keep throwing it to the point where he can't shoot them fast enough but it's not a good way to do this they're just an overwhelming force again i don't think the axe gang is managed very well gina no they 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 really aren't not a great method of attack and then occasionally whenever they're knocked off a motorcycle because they've slicked down every road surface they always slide. <laughs> and I just found myself involuntarily going, wee. <laughs> it just, it knocks some of the visceral thrill out of it when your death looks fun. Yeah, it looks like they're all slip and slides. You know, and I guess it made the sliding uh, easier to do, but it also like, pff, Cobra and Ingrid really abandoned Gonzalez fast. <laughs> like they blow well, up Gonzalez's yeah. room. And he jumps out a window nearly on fire. He gets shot in the leg. And Cobra yells, Gonzalez! And when he doesn't hear anything, it's like, well, he's fuck dead. all y'all. <laughs> uh, he, he had a good run. 
<laughs> yeah, you know what? He can handle the rest of this on his own. We're going to take off. Uh, so he, he got this, Gonzalez, right? Yeah, you got it. Hurry yeah, up, yeah. car. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so Ingrid takes the wheel and Cobra jumps in the back of this truck and they just start mowing down motherfuckers. <laughs> um, and it, listen, this is fun. I like this movie a lot. Okay, don't everything we're talking about are just the logical conclusions of watching Cobra. Part of the fun is wondering how any of it happened. Okay, that doesn't make it any less fun to watch. It is very fun to watch, particularly the sequence. But I will say this none of the X Gang have ever watched a fucking Mad Max movie. Okay, <laughs> I think if you're running an X Gang, you go, guys. I think, listen, we don't have to watch the third one, but I think we should watch the first two Mad Max movies, okay? Everyone, everyone, I'm going to rent the VHS and we're going to watch it before we attack the motel. Yeah, you got to have your required gang viewing. You know, yes. you, watch, you watch Helter Skelter, obviously. Mm-hmm. Sure, you, yeah, you, you watch some. Uh, you watch some Mad Max movies. <laughs> yes. You watch The Shining just because it's axe related? I mean, I guess. Sure, why not? Two and a half hours. Sure, why not? I, you know, maybe a cartoon of Paul Bunyan. I'm not sure. Yeah, they they, they gotta like. have those, you know, those team building exercises where they, you know, sure. everybody brings a snack, like you, a potluck. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, oh. you, everybody sits around and watches movies in their in their their filthy dungeon. <laughs> yeah, they love they, they love they love Art the Accountant's wife's uh, you know seven meat, seven layer dip. Oh, yeah. She makes a great seven-layer dip. I mean, I think she would bulk if she knew her husband were taking it to the axe cult. But also, she gets such amazing benefits from the axe cult. Because despite how he might look in that three-piece suit, he is very fit because his cardio from lifting those axes and smashing them together is really, you know, he's brought him in line. Like, he's down to the same weight he was in college He's he's very excited and happy to get up in the morning. This these are the benefits of being in the axe. <laughs> well, it's got to be something. Otherwise, how are they gonna have so many people in it? That I keep trying to wonder. Like, what is their pull? What is where their raison d'être? And outside of being sweaty and spittle infused, uh, I don't know. It's got to be just the fringe benefits or just the camaraderie what it comes down to maybe nancy stalk you know comes on to you by kissing your bicep one night (laughs) if you're lucky if you're if you're lucky and sweaty and have just dyed your hair with uh ink (laughs) so this whole i mean what can we say about this machine gun battle he just starts mowing down motherfuckers finally out of nowhere there's a, a four cars on fire blocking the road so where did these come from? Where are the guys who set up the roadblock of flaming cars? Where are they at? Were they, was that their, always their plan? That they were going to flush them towards still burning cars? Yeah, that seems a little, that requires more forethought than I think that these cult members actually have. Yeah, they're like, hey, Jerry's going to set up the flaming cars. Not Jerry! We can't trust him to do that. No, he says he can do it. He knows where four cars are, and he has a can of gasoline. He's going to light them on fire. We just got to give him the signal. Uh, That will be when he hears a a billion motorcycles revving towards him in machine gun fire, and they'll know it's him. But that involves a plan where they knew that Cobra was going to be driving in that direction, which they did not know. I think they probably just wanted to kill him at the motel 
but uh, they needed a way for this to end, and that's the way they figured out they would. So they uh, get dumped off of uh, of this truck. It's destroyed. Sylvester Stallone gets tossed off of this wreck, and he does a tuck and roll, and then stands up, machine gun ready. I'm ready to go. You just landed there. You were going 55 miles per hour. You don't just like pick up and like, hey, time to go. But he does. I guess because he's small, maybe he makes less of an impact. I don't know. Maybe that's the advantage of those very tight jeans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you don't have when you don't have like uh, uh, you know a lot of material flapping around. You can you can, you can move faster. But this whole sequence sets off something that I I'm not so much a fan of in this movie, which is uh, Cobra's use of hand grenades. Now I don't want to get nerdy, but the whole point of a hand grenade is to take care of a small group of people that you might not be able to shoot or kill individually. You scatter them, or you wreck everything that they're on, or you disable them with a grenade, but you don't use it for a person. Well, Cobra doesn't play that way, baby. He uses grenades with one exception on single people. (laughs) And I just like, that's really not what grenades are for, everyone. It's like Sylvester Stallone had never played Doom. I just like, where does he get grenades from? Oh, he just has them around the house. Maybe they were provided by the Pepsi Corporation. <laughs> Everything else was. It's just it's just stamp, just stamp uh, the, the, the grenade of a new generation. That's <laughs> yes, right. Surprised. It isn't blue and red with a white stripe down the middle of it. <laughs> Listen, if it can stop the Antifa movement, it definitely can stop an axe gang. One delightful moment is uh, Cobra and Ingrid are running across. There's an overhead shot of them running through this orange grove. And they're very obviously they're stunt doubles. I mean, obviously they're stunt doubles. So for like Sylvester Sloan can do this tuck and roll off of a moving truck, but running through an orange grove, he's like, ah, I'll let the stunt man do that one. <laughs> it's, nice he, we, it's nice that he can pick and choose like that. Yeah. Well, you know, he's practically in charge at this point. Uh, but this is where he tells Ingrid to run, run, run. And luckily enough, in the middle of this orange grove is the Spark Factory, uh, a, a factory that appears to create fire for reasons. And all it takes is one bullet passing through a, a guard, and the entire factory just turns on. Apparently, it's a one-switch factory. <laughs> It's like it's like a it's like a video game where you just have to find out that that one little button that gets everything moving. Yes, and it sure does. Uh, this factory has everything: deadly hooks, hallways with just random flames. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's, a, it's one of those you know one of those very typical spark factories. Yes, like people are walking around their giant spark showers, and it just feels like an OSHA hazard everywhere you look. Like fucking Freddy Krueger looked around and was like, why didn't I work here? This this seems like my kind of joint. <laughs> yeah, at one point, Sylvester Stallone puts a grenade on a shelf and then goes to a, another location and two guys wander into the sort of alcove and he shoots the grenade to blow it up. I don't think that's why how grenades just, work. 
I don't, A, that isn't how grenades work. And two, why not just fucking shoot them? You have a laser sight. If you just want to go pop, pop, you could. So why are you fucking wasting a grenade on this shit? One of the assassins from the Axe gang has a lot of zippers on his pants. Like a, a lot of zippers. It's a heavily zippered pant, especially around the ankle region. I like to think um, that he has like little tiny axes in, in, inside each of those zippered pockets. Uh, there's a reused shot of the Night Slasher sweating and looking around for Cobra that they used from earlier in the movie. Or they used this one. In an earlier shot in the movie, um, I'm not sure which it is, but uh, at one point uh, he goes, uh, he's, "Do you want? Do you want to go to hell to Cobra?" And is he asking Cobra to help prom? <laughs> well, no, he doesn't have a little cardboard sign, and he's not filming it for his TikTok. For his TikTok. Oh, that's true. <laughs> you do, you know, that 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 makes sense. You're right. Dana. Once again, you are right. At this point, this is when we get the Night Slasher's TED Talk, where he's like, oh, "I want to see your eyes, pig. I wanna, I want." Well, what's that? What is, what is he? Uh, the Roger Ebert term, the fallacy of the talking killer, or something like that. Yeah. Where rather than just and and you know, let us be clear, up to this point, this character had uh, maybe fifteen words of dialogue, and and he mostly just glowers. And then all of a sudden, he's given a fucking monologue at the end of this movie, <laughs> uh, you know, about about how, you know, like, like we said before, that, that you know, they'll just, you know, they can't put him away. They can't do because he's sick and he's in a sick world, pig, <laughs> <laughs> just bits of food and spit flying everywhere. And, and yeah, and, you know, th- this is the time he picks to finally speak. But he has nothing to say. He just says the same thing over and over again. And so Cobra like puts his laser sight over his heart and says, I, it's just it's time to murderize you. And the guy's like, oh, you can't, you you can't murder me. You have rules, policeman. Which is, let, let me point out that he has seen this cop throw grenades at people. Yes. And now all of a sudden he's trying to claim you can dude, he just killed like half of your crew. And now he all just of a sudden, lit a motherfucker on fire like no more than ten seconds ago. And now you're saying you can't kill me? Why why wouldn't he? What's stopping him this time? It just makes you sound stupid because you're not very observant. It just sounds like you're out of step instead of dealing with what's right in front of you. So they have a very uninteresting fight. If there is one thing this movie does not do well, it is fisticuffs. Because I would argue that there is more arm wrestling in the last 10 minutes of this movie than there is in the first 45 minutes of Over the Top. Well, you also have to uh, you know, accept that, you know, five foot eight Sylvester Stallone would be an even match against six foot four 13. five <laughs> brian thompson it is even yeah. it is even more absurd than when he goes up against yvonne drago <laughs> well they try to film this from what appears to be the hubble space telescope in the hopes of making this <laughs> so, so, it, so it doesn't it's, it's less apparent that the the villain is a good good seven inches taller than than the hero 
And for some reason, the the this villain, the Night Slasher, is only using one arm to try to stab him, whereas Sylvester Stallone is using both arms to stop him. And it just it just becomes this very long form arm wrestling, overhead arm wrestling match of am I going to stab you? I'm not gonna stab you. Am I gonna stab you? No. Whoa, 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 whoa. I might be stabbing you. Do you feel do you feel it like poking at you, poking at you, poking at you? Nope, not yet. I'm gonna push back. And you're like, God damn it. Someone throw a goddamn punch. So finally, Sylvester Sloan starts kidney punching him instead of knocking him in the giant fucking jaw, which has the biggest fucking target on it. But finally the punches start landing after five minutes of this let's roll on top of one another fight and yet somehow this is sexier than any of his interactions with Brigitte Nielsen well there's, it's there's, got more sexual chemistry there's sure. more raw passionate animal energy between the two of them than between the sparks and don't Nielsen. Hurt. I mean I'll be honest with you the sparks and the heat and the sweat and, you know, there's a lot more bodily fluids happening here uh, so finally, uh, this this fucking hook that keeps passing. Uh, what is this hook attached to? It just keeps going by left, right, left, right, left, right. Yes, yeah, it's, it's going and, in. It's it's going into the lavinator. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that, I remember that, the days when my 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 pops he would come home for a hard day at the lava making factory. <laughs> yeah, the Hell's Gate Matic three thousand. So he. <laughs> Finally picks up Night Slasher, uh, deposits him on this giant hook while Brigitte Nielsen is just off in the shadows contemplating all of this. I mean, I'm not asking her to get involved, but. She could I also mean, try not, escaping maybe while this is happening. No, it's, she's riveted. <laughs> what she sees. <laughs> and who wouldn't be? Uh, so, and then finally he's carried off, uh, still wriggling like a worm on a hook off to the Flametronic 9000 and he is burned alive. And that's it. That's that's the pretty much the end of uh, our story. I mean, we do go back and we have like Gonzalez, it turns out, is still alive. And he's like, bring me gummy bears. Which I get that. That, that seemed like the truest moment in the whole movie yes. for me because I enjoy gummy bears. <laughs> and and if I got shot in the leg and I knew I had a, a, a long recovery ahead of me at the hospital, I'd say, bring me gummy bears. I will do that. Um, I don't want you to be shot in the leg. I'd rather not I be. Just... I mean, I could just get gummy bears. But, but it, it, you know, <laughs> sh- should I somehow get shot in the leg by a marauding axe gang? I'm yes. going to count on you to bring me gummy bears. Bring me the good ones. Um, there's one more moment in this. I mean, he punches Detective Monty, like whatever. We talked about in the last episode. It was actually supposed to be revealed that Monty was the head of the. I, wa- I wish I, I wish they got to the point where they actually they had filmed it and then decided not to yeah. use it. I am so what what an amazing opportunity now you know, lost in a movie that doesn't make any sense. It would have made more sense if someone was actually in fucking charge of it and everything. But then he just like punches him like. Ur-hur. Um, but Art LaFleur comes over from a helicopter and says, all right, Cobretti, if you need anything, just let me know. And Cobra says, 
uh, I'd like my car fixed. <laughs> he goes, nah, not in the budget. <laughs> All right. See ya. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I mean, this is like immediately following when, when he, he, he's put the bad guy in a lobinator and he doesn't have any paperwork to fill out. He, he, doesn't, yeah. he doesn't have any interviews he has to give or whether to the media or to the police or anything. It, it's all over. The, the ax cult has, has been vanquished. You can go now. Cabretti, you're good. Yeah. And I'm sure they got all of them. Like, there's no way he missed any of the Axe Cult. He just got every single last one of them. No one went to the wind or anything like that. Do you think he bothered mentioning to anybody that they had someone working in the police force? I mean, I'm sure that's apparent once they saw the body of Nancy Stock uh, shot uh, in, in the Spark Factory. Yeah, I don't know. Again, it would have made a lot of sense that if... Monty was the head of the new world and he was revealed like, hey, dum-dums, this guy was involved in all of this and he was the inside man telling you not to put me on the case and everything that I told you was wrong. No, we just get Sylvester Stallone climbing onto a motorcycle and him looking like um, an eight-year-old getting on his dad's bike and then Brigitte Nielsen barely lifting her leg to get on the back of it. There's nothing shows the size difference between the two of them. Quite like both of them mounting the same size motorcycle. It's like she has to crunch up her entire frame to get on the back of this. And he's like, I can barely hold it up. I can barely hold it up. His little, his little Yosemite Sam feet. <laughs> oh, very much. Complete with heels. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Um, so that uh, that that's Cobra, y'all. Um, so let's choose our own death venture, Gina. If you had to choose from any of the deaths seen in this section of the movie, which one you would you choose and why? Would you rather be shot, blown up, stabbed, axed, uh, shorn apart by machine gun fire? Uh, you can get a shotgun to the ribs, or you can be placed on a hook and sent off to the lavinator. Uh, which one would you choose? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, getting blown up by a grenade is always pretty good. I, it would be fast, that's for sure. I, I'm telling you right now, I would want to go out on one of those motorcycles and slide. Whee! It seems fun. Whee! <laughs> There's one guy who kind of does a wheelie. And then gets pulled back by a very obvious wire. I'd love one of those. That seems like a hoot nanny. <laughs> I definitely don't want to be the guy who gets shot through the sunlight and just falls in there like a goof. Or the guy who just crashes his motorcycle through the door. That seems lame. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to have to get some dumb monologue before I before I die. So I don't. I don't want to be. Yeah. I don't want to be hooked and burninated. I think uh, maybe 10 to midnight might have some more fanciful deaths for us to talk about or the first power. I'm not sure, but we've certainly found a new subgenre for ourselves. That's the good news. And apparently people are very excited about us to be talking about this kind of thing. Yeah. Definitely more than um, fear. No evil. Uh, <laughs> based on the downloads, people have neither heard of that movie or if they have, they don't particularly want to hear us talk about it based on the download numbers. Um, so there's that. Um, those are fun episodes, everyone. Give them a give them a try. You, you <laughs> should you should listen to them. They're yeah. very entertaining because this movie is wacky. 
<laughs> it is just as wacky, just with a lot. It doesn't, for for all the lack of an axe gang, it more than makes up for men spontaneously growing breasts. I mean, it's it, true, true. It, it, it does not have John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band on the soundtrack. No. But it does have Patti Smith and the Talking Heads, so. Yes. Much better soundtrack in Fear No Evil than Cobra. That is for damn sure. Uh, so very quickly, um, uh, uh, where can people find you on the internet, Gina? I, uh, I am a writer for The Spool at uh, thespool.net. Currently, I am recapping the HBO series The Outsider. Um, I also have my own website at GinaRadcliffe.com, and you can find me on Twitter under Porcelain72. Do it today, people. Check it out, of course. On Patreon, we're going to have a special episode coming up. We're going to be talking about 1982's The Seduction, starring the effervescent Morgan Fairchild and all of her body. And the, um, and the a very sweaterescent Andrew Stevens. Yes, who also is very sweaty. It's a lot of sweat back to back on Kill by Kill. Real quick for, for Patreon, we have, a, we have a new patron. Uh, oh, wonderful. We do. Uh, welcoming Dave Gabbard. Excellent. Thank you, Dave. Thank you so much for supporting us. As always, podcasting is not for free, but uh, we can bring you this show for free because many people have chosen to help us pay for it and bring you these episodes, and we'd love you to be a part of it. There's multiple levels you can even help us. And uh, currently, we are doing some fundraising for Planned Parenthood for Women in Horror Month. Uh, If you uh, donate to Women in Horror Month, uh, and use the uh, the the donate button on either Facebook or on uh, Twitter and tag kill by kill with the receipt, you know, close out anything that might identify you or, anything, you know, protect your identity, identity and everything. But uh, that will enter you into the ability to choose a movie for us. And it can be almost anything. The same rules apply to our Patreon level, but this will be on the main feed. So... Sounds pretty cool. I'd love you to participate. And of course, Planned Parenthood does so much good in this world that uh, really should be provided to to us anyways. Uh, But because it isn't, they have stepped up. And so we are stepping up for them. Uh, That's very important. Uh, Reach out to us on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And of course, uh, rate and review us on iTunes because that will help us be seen and heard by more people. Uh, we've had a great month on uh, on iTunes in terms of our, our placement there. Uh, so we would love that to continue and love to be seen and heard by more people like yourselves, the discerning kill-by-kill listener. And so until next time, for myself and for Gina, bye-bye, everybody. Bye!